Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Picciuto, and I'm very excited to have a very good friend of mine, Terry Tucker, on the line today. Terry, how you doing, my friend? I'm great, John. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. I'll, I'll try to give you the reader's uh, of my life. I was born and raised in, in Chicago, Illinois. I am the oldest of three boys. Obviously, you can't tell this from my voice, but I'm six foot, eight inches tall and played college basketball at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. I have a, a brother who's six foot seven who pitched for the University of Notre Dame. And then my middle brother is six foot six and he was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers in the National Basketball Association. And then my dad was six five, but my five foot eight mother was really the boss of us growing up. <laughs> Didn't matter how big, how strong, whatever, you know, whatever mom said, that's the way it went. So when I, I graduated from college, I moved home to find a job. I, I'm really going to date myself now, but this was long before the internet was available. And I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. And I was all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree, you know, and I, I look back now and realize what a knucklehead I was for, <laughs> you know, thinking I knew everything there was to know about business because I had a college degree. Fortunately, I was able to find that first job in the corporate offices of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain in their marketing department. But unfortunately, I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother care for my grandmother and my father who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Mm. In my professional career, um, as I said, I was a marketing executive. I was also a hospital administrator. I was a customer service manager. I was a police officer. And during that time, I was also an undercover narcotics investigator and a SWAT team hostage negotiator. Then wow. I started my own yeah, it was it was pretty interesting. Uh, my own school security consulting business. I was a high school basketball coach. I've been a motivational speaker. Last year, I became an author. But for the last nine years, I've been a cancer warrior. And then finally, my wife and I have been married for 27 years. And our only child, a daughter, is a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is an officer in the newly created United States Space Force. Wow, that is incredible. Wow, this is definitely the you know the very first uh, six degrees of separation or whatever it was that I've been able to touch upon the space force. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty neat. I, I mean, it's funny though because I mean, she, you know, you talk to her and it's like you know, how was work? It was fine. What'd you do? I can't tell you. Okay, good talking <laughs> to you. Bye. You know. So. <laughs> yeah, right. It's it, it's funny because it started off as one of those things that it's like, oh, is this real? Is are are they really actually doing this? And it is very much a real thing. Oh, it, it's very real, real, real. And, you know, it's funny because, I mean, she has wings on her uniform. And I'm like, what do you have wings for? She's like, we fly satellites. You oh, know, yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. Different than, you know, pilot's wings. We fly planes. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's great to be on the ground floor of, of something as interesting as a new branch of the military. Absolutely. Um, you've obviously had uh, a number of careers in a number of fields, um, and we'll obviously touch upon your, your cancer battle uh, in, a, in a little bit. Um, walk me through kind of the progression and the timeline of kind of how you got to where you are today. Um, obviously, you've done a number of different things in a bunch of different industries. Um, what was like the main reason behind that? And also, was there anything that you did that you hated that you loved and, and kind of walk me through uh, the the career progression for you? Yeah, my my passion, you know, kind of the thing that burned in my heart to do was to be a cop. But my dad, um, his father, my grandfather was a Chicago police officer from 
1924 to 1954. So wow. he was in Chicago during Prohibition. He was during in Chicago as a police officer during, you know, the Al Capone, the gangs and all that kind of stuff that was going on. And he was actually shot in the line of duty with his own gun. It was not a life-threatening injury. He was shot in, in the ankle. But my dad always remembered the stories that my grandmother told about the knock on the door of, you know, Mrs. Tucker, please grab your son. Your husband's been shot. Come with us. And he was like, absolutely not. So he had my whole life planned out. You know, you're going to go to college. You're going to major in business. After you get out of college, you're going to go into, you know, but that wasn't my passion. Mm -hmm. Um, But unfortunately, you know, he was sick. He was, was, was really dying. He had, he had end stage breast cancer. um, And I, and he was my hero and I loved him. He was my dad, you know, and I didn't want to do anything to upset him. So I, I did what he wanted me to do. I, I went to work for Wendy's and then I became a hospital administrator and those were not my passions. Those were not, those were, those were jobs that I learned a lot where I met some great people, but they were not what I was put on this earth to do. Mm-hmm. And so I, I you know, I, I kind of joke, I, you know, I always say that I did what every good son did. I waited till my dad died to follow my dreams, you know, but it, 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 that's really the way it was. It, mm-hmm. you know, I was 30, 37 years old when I became a rookie police officer and you know, that was my passion. I loved it. I couldn't wait to get up to, you know, what are we going to do today? Who are we going to help? What's, you know, how are we going to make a difference? And I, I, I really enjoyed that job. And, you know, I was an undercover narcotics investigator and, you know, people were like you were six foot eight. How did you, you know, <laughs> I was I'm actually like, going to ask that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, how did you do it? And like the thing that motivates that industry and, it is an industry is greed. And if you have money, people are willing to, you know, to sell you drugs. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's kind of, you know, how that industry worked. You know, I I was on SWAT. Uh, I love that. But I always say what got me through cancer. And I think a lot of times what got me through my life are what I call the three F's, faith, family, and friends. And when my wife lost her job in Cincinnati, that's where I was a policeman. She was the primary breadwinner. And so she couldn't find a job in Cincinnati and we found one, she found one in Houston, Texas. And as much as I love that, my family was, was more important than my job. Mm-hmm. And so we moved and I took what I learned in the police department, started a, a school security consulting business. And then I coached high school basketball and our, my daughter got my height. Uh, she's six foot two and wow. had an NBA three point shot, which is why she went to the air force Academy to play, you know, division one basketball. So that, you know, that in a nutshell, that's kind of how it worked. And, you know, and if there's young people out there listening, you know, what I would tell you is if you have a passion for something, if there's something burning in your heart to do it, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things that you're going to regret are not going to be the things that you did. They're going to be the things that you didn't do. So find that passion, live it. And I'm, I'm telling you, when you get to the end of life, it's going to be a whole lot easier. I think that's such an important perspective and something that I touch upon frequently in my podcast is that, you know, I'm 35 and for, you know, let's call it, you know, uh, you know, 14 years since my working career started, I did all the things that one is supposed to do. I got a job, I bought a car, you know, I got an apartment and I bought a house. I did all these things that you're like supposed to do, right? I checked all these boxes. Um, and ultimately it led me to a path where I just was completely and utterly 
unfulfilled in the things that I was doing. I was making a lot of money. I was, you know, buying a lot of shit, but ultimately I wasn't very happy. And all that comes to like a critical point in the last year where I started realizing that there are certain things that I want to do and certain things that I want out of life. And it's not a monetary thing and it's not a job thing. It is a happiness thing. And a lot of those things don't come externally. They come internally. Um, and I, I think it's, it's a nice perspective to have someone, you know, you're, you're a little bit older than me, that that is a relatable feeling that no matter what generation you're from, you only have so much time here. And it's a matter of making the most of what time that you do have. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and I, you know, <clears throat> I think there's a lot of people out there that, that were like me that were, you know, your parents have your life all planned out for you. You know, mm -hmm. they, they know where you're going to go to school. They know what you're going to do. And, and that's great if that's, if that's what you want to do and if that's your passion. But if it's not, like you say, you're going to spend a lot of years being unfulfilled, you know, getting up in the morning like, oh, God, I don't want to go to work, you know, you know and that kind of thing. And, and, and again, you know, your, your work doesn't have to be your purpose. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, you, you can have a job to pay the bills, but your purpose is, you know, I'm, I'm working on putting together a, you know, a food pantry in my community, whatever, the, mm -hmm. whatever your passion is, mm -hmm. but what, whatever is in your heart. And, and I, I find so many people, I mean, certainly with the number of years I've had cancer and, and the number of years I was a policeman, I, I've seen a lot of people die. And, and the people who die what probably you and I would call, you know, happy or peaceful deaths are the people that I kind of look at as they, they sought out their purpose in life. Once they found it, they lived it. And so when it comes to the end of their life, they're not, you know, like the other people who go kicking and screaming from this world who, you know, I want another day. I want another month. I want another year. Well, sorry, you know, that's, that was made way above your pay grade, that sure. decision. And, you know, you don't, you don't get that anymore. And, and so you, you, that's what I want. I, I want to go to my grave, you know, with a peaceful heart saying, you know what, I found my purpose in this life and I lived that purpose. And now it's time to move on whatever's after this you mentioned faith and family and obviously those are, are two important pillars for me as well um i'm extremely um uh very connected with my family and I'm, I'm lucky in that regard because as i've gotten older i realize that's not the norm um but talk to me about how your faith has been something that's been tested and you know maybe something that's been difficult to hold on to over what has been a nine-year journey um with a disease yeah, you know, it's funny, you, you know, I've had cancer since 2000 and, you know, people always ask me, it's like, you know, do you blame God for this? And I'm like, no, I mean, I don't think God got up one morning and said, uh, yeah, Tuesday, Terry Tucker, cancer. Yeah. You know, I just, uh, I don't think that happened, but I, I think what, um, what I've learned over the years and, and, and I was brought up Roman Catholic and, and still am still go to, well, I don't go to church now with COVID and mm -hmm. things like that, but, but still, you know, I pray for about an hour every day and, and mostly for the people that I've met in my life that, that need prayer. I it really it has been fairly recently that, you know, that I've been asking for the, for the miracle of, you know, could you please get rid of this cancer in my lungs and things like that. But I, I, I believe, I feel in my heart, and you know, some I, I was on a podcast. So, well, how do you know? I, I don't. That's why it's called faith. Sure. You know that. I, I mean, you know, I, I when I had I had my uh, left foot amputated in 2018, and and I remember laying there in bed, kind of like you know, healing, 
sort of at a crossroads in life. I did, you know, and, and like looking at the ceilings, like, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? And, you know, I was kind of hoping the heavens would, would open up and, you know, the voice would come and all that. There's an old joke about, uh, you know, when we talk to God, it's called prayer. When God talks to us, it's called schizophrenia, you know? So, uh, you know, I, I never had, you know, any, like, you know, God talk to me. But what I did have is other people say to me, you know, Terry, you should do this. You know, you should write a book. You should start a blog. And, you know, I said, start a blog. I, I'm old. I can barely turn my cell phone out in the morning. You know, you want me to put a blog together? But I did, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think there are I think there are ways in life where God kind of talks to you or, or kind of, you know, says, here's a path. You know, I'd like you to go down this path. But you, you certainly have the right to say, no, I don't want to go down. I'm going over here. Mm-hmm. And that. But I find when you listen to your heart, um, um, Mike Szyzewski, the, the coach at Duke, um, talks about leading with your heart, wrote a book about that, leading with your heart. And I, I think that's so important that you, you need to live your life leading with your heart, being open to the things that life throws at you and not like, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. Okay, and that's fine. And you have every right to do that. But in my experience, and like you say, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you, I, you, what I find is that if you lead with your heart, if you do the things that I think you were put on this earth to do and try to find those things and live them, you're going to be a whole lot happier and a whole lot more fulfilled than if you, you know, well, I'm going to do this. Well, mm-hmm. that's what you want to do. That's not necessarily why you were put on this earth. I, I agree uh, to a lot of what you said. I think... Um I believe strongly in, in fate and things happening in life for a reason, and you end up where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be. Um, and as a also a Roman Catholic uh, who has multiple, uh, maybe to this point, hypocritical religious tattoos in my life, I struggle with two distinct things when it comes to my faith, because I grew up in a very strict Catholic house, uh, you know, Italian household that was very, you know, regimented and, and, and strict and religious and whatnot. But as I've gotten older, I feel as if my spirituality has grown exponentially, i.e. my belief in God, my belief in an afterlife, and like these grandiose concepts that I think are, are almost self-evident that they must and have to exist. But my reliance and or relation to re- like organized religion in and of itself is like waning thinner and thinner. Um, what do you make of like the, this, this feeling that I guess I have on a daily basis, this struggle between what I would call like faith and religion, because I don't necessarily, uh, you know, ascribe them to being the same thing anymore. Yeah, I, I don't think the Catholic Church has helped itself, you know, certainly with the, the, the issues with, you know, the the priests that are abusing. I, I mean, my brother is a, uh, for the last 22 years, he's been a, a principal of a large Catholic high school in Chicago and, and just was named the president of the school. And, you know, the number of issues with with some of the brothers that, that teach at the school, you know, the, the religious order that, you know, potentially have abused kids and things like that, has certainly been an issue. And, you know, when that continues to get thrown in your face and when the Catholic Church doesn't stand up and lead, you know, then you, you, you've really got a problem with mm-hmm. that. I, I, I look at the sacraments that I am provided within the church, you know, whether it's the Eucharist or, or reconciliation or, or, you know, whatever it is, the, these sacraments that were given to us, you know, as something that fulfills me, that sustains me, that, that gives me, you know, the, the, the courage to continue to move forward. And, and but, but I'm not stupid or naive. I, I see what, 
what what's going on and, and well it's and, you fundamentally know, I, I, it's people at its core right like at the end of the day people are flawed so that that's right, like that's right. my my biggest like my lack of being able to relate to this stuff anymore is simply because like you look at like you mentioned like all these instances of the priesthood and, and child abuse and you know their on their inability to you know come around on things like gay marriage and for me it's it always felt like religion was supposed to be this inclusive place where we talk about god and love and family and friends and it doesn't feel that way anymore it doesn't i'm 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 unable to relate to the religion aspect of my faith the way I did, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah, and, and I, I, I don't know what the answer to that is for you. You know, I, I mean, I look at the fact that if you think about it, especially with both of us being Roman Catholic, you know, and, and we're taught that, <clears throat> excuse me, that God is love, you know, mm-hmm. not that God manifests love or that God, that God is love. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the fact that, you and I were created by a God who is nothing but love. I mean, he is, is love personified, and he knew all the dumb, stupid, crazy, sinful things we were going to do, <laughs> and yet still loved us enough to put us on this planet, to put us on this, this earth, to try to make a difference, to try to take that love that he gave us and then manifest it towards other people. I, to me, that is an incredible gift Mm -hmm. i guess for lack of a better word i like that and and i you know and and i try and and that's my job you know i can't imagine when i die standing in in his or her what whatever you believe i don't want to put my religion on anybody else but whatever you believe the creator to be standing in that presence and be unable to account for the gifts and the talents that i was born with and that i didn't use to make the world a better place i mean if you think about it there's never been another john like you never never before you never after you you are that unique in 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 you know in the history of mankind and when you start thinking about that you're you realize that's pretty damn powerful oh yeah you know that that you are there's nobody else who's ever been like you or ever will be like you so what gifts did god give you and are you using them to make his world a better place. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's a, an incredibly important perspective and, and one that, you know, I hope to, you know, reachieve in, in, in time. Um, obviously, you've had a, a difficult personal nine-year struggle with, uh, you know, cancer. Um, how has that diagnosis and that battle, you know, you mentioned losing your foot, um, how has that strained your, your uh, relationship with religion and God? And how have you sort of grown from it it, it really has not strength you know i i don't i don't blame god because i got cancer mm-hmm. I, you know i never have and you know i have this very rare form of melanoma that uh presented on the bottom of my foot and you know i had a callus break open when i was a basketball coach you know i, I didn't think much of it you're a coach you're on your feet a lot and i i went to a podiatrist friend of mine when it didn't heal and you know he did the typical let's put some pads in your shoes and all this kind of stuff and when that didn't work he he took an x-ray and he said you know i think you've got a little cyst in there and i can cut it out and he did and he showed it to me it was just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it no blood no dark spot nothing that would cause anybody to 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 think that oh my god look at you know look at this this is horrible and he said you know i've seen thousands of these and but he sent it off to pathology and then two weeks later he calls me and like i said he was a friend and the more difficulty he was having telling he was having 
telling me what was going on, the more frightened I became until he just kind of laid it on the line. He said, Terry, I've been practicing for 25 years and I have never seen this form of cancer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you're like, well, okay. For me, it was, okay, God, I need your help now. I, I need you to, to, you know, I need you even more than I probably have needed you in the past, but I never blamed him. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I asked my doctor, how did I get this? He's like, I don't know. And, and, you know, and the funny thing is two years ago, I had a, a genetic test of, of all 88 genes that they either know cause cancer or suspect cause cancer. And I have no mutations in any of my genes. And yet I have this very rare form of cancer. Wow. So I don't spend a lot of time thinking, you know, why did I get the, you know, kind of the, the real high flute you know, esoteric kind of things. I, I, I don't worry about that. I'm not that smart, you know, <laughs> so I, I, I don't, I'll spend a lot of time, you know, why did you get this? What's it? But I've got it. And, and this is my life. These are the cards that I've been dealt and I have to play them and I have to play them to the best of my ability. And I try to do that with a faith that, you know, God, for some reason you gave this to me or so for some reason you allowed this to happen to me. Now I need your help and tell me where you want me to go with this. That's a wildly impressive um, mental attitude towards something that is obviously not easy to be positive about, um, and especially when you contemplate the the longevity of the battle. Um, it, it, I mean, I'm I'm assuming you have good days and bad days and and ups and downs. Um, what 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 kind of keeps you? in this positive frame of mind. And, and I'm going to assume it's likely, f you know, faith and family. Um, but I would imagine that that's a rather uncommon, um, you know, mental attitude when it comes to battling something this, this serious. Yeah, it, it's, I, I don't want anybody who's listening to us in this conversation think that, you know, I have an S on my chest and I wear a cape. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I, I cry, I get nervous, I get down, I get depressed, I, you know, w but we're all going to get that in our lives, you know, mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be like me, you know, fighting a terminal illness. It could be, you know, you flunked a test at school, you broke up with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you had a fender bender on the way, whatever it is, you, we're all going to get into those dark places. And pain is inevitable in everybody's life. Suffering, on the other hand, that's optional. Mm -hmm. What you do with that pain how long you stay in that dark place is up to you. And, and I've kind of come to what, what I call my, you know, in addition to faith, what I call my four truths. And, and I'll give those to you. I, I, I have them on a post-it note. They're just, they're sitting here on my, on my desk and I see them every day and they're just four sentences. And I use these truths along with my faith to really kind of guide the decisions that I make about, you know, my life on treatment and on, on things like that. So, so number one is you need to control your mind or it will control you. Number two is you need to embrace the pain and the suffering that we all experience in life and use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual. Number three is what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And number four is as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And I had a nurse recently come to me. I, I'm on a clinical trial drug for these tumors that are in my lungs. And it just beats the hell out of me. I, I mean, I'm I'm at the hospital Monday through Friday, uh, taking these drugs and shaking and throwing up and getting a. Few, it, it, it's just ugly. And she came to me one day and she said, Terry, you know, this trial is just beating the heck out of you, and nobody would think anything less of you if you quit. And I tried to explain these truths to her, and I, I said, you know, my doctor may take me off the trial, 
or I may die on this trial, but I will never quit this trial because that's just not in my makeup. It's, you know, I'm going to be full speed ahead as long as I think it's the right thing to do. Don't get me wrong. I'm not blindly. I mean, I think my oncologist kind of hates me because I'm always asking why, why Mm -hmm. are we doing this? Why why are we doing that? You you know, I want to be involved in my own healthcare. You know, I want my life to be shaped by the decisions that I make, not by the ones that I don't or, or the ones that other people make for me. So I, I use those those truths and uh, and my faith to make decisions. You know, like I, I remember I came, <laughs> you'll, you'll enjoy this story. I came home after finding out I had the tumors in my lungs and my doctor wanted to do chemotherapy. And I was like, ah, I don't, I don't really think I want to do this. You know, we're, we're eight years into this. I am exhausted. I don't really think I want to do chemotherapy. And so I came home and I, I was talking to my wife and daughter and immediately my daughter's like, all right, we got to have a family meeting. Like there's three of us. What do you mean we gotta have a family meeting? You know, so we have we have we have a family meeting and we talk about it for a few minutes and then we take a vote. And my wife and daughter vote for chemotherapy. I vote for no chemo. I I lose. So now I'm taking chemotherapy. You know, because I, I you know my my family is is that important to me. And I remember when I was in the police academy, our defensive tactics instructor had us bring a photograph of the people that we love the most to class. And while we were learning techniques to defend ourselves we were to look at that photograph because he reasoned that you would fight harder for people you love than you will fight for yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he wanted you to know that at three o'clock in the morning when you're fighting some drunk guy who pulls out a knife, that there are people at home, whether it's a husband or wife or mother or dad or your kids or whatever it is that want you to come home, that this is just that this is bigger than you. You know, that it's not just about you. This is something bigger than yourself. Hmm. Uh, I mean, that uh, it's it's a it's a bit awe-inspiring me uh, uh, to be honest with you, Terry, because obviously I have not had any sort of uh, relatable trials and tribulations in my life that I can look at and say, oh, I can relate by X Y Z because I don't have anything that is relatable to what you've gone through over the course of the last nine years. Um, but I what I am curious of is that obviously you're married. Uh, I believe you said for twenty seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, how has uh, your cancer diagnosis impacted your relationship with your wife? And I'm, I'm going to go on on a limb here and say it's only done nothing but strengthened it. But making like these big decisions about things like chemo and, and treatments and next steps and stuff, uh, walk me through kind of how you guys have uh, combated this, this, uh, this illness. So my wife is Norwegian by heritage, so that should pretty much tell you that, you know, she's very, <laughs> yeah, right. very stoic, very, you know, but, but the funny thing about my wife is that before she married me, before she met me, she had never seen the inside of an emergency room in a hospital, ever. Wow. And yeah, I, I mean, talk about being fortunate. And so, I, you, but, you know, you, you get into this, you know, with your partner and, and she's at, I have absolutely my partner and, and, and we do these things together and we talk about the decisions that we're going to do. And, and, you know, I mean, she gets up at, I have my, my, every third week I I go to the hospital Monday through Friday for that clinical trial drug. You know, she gets up at four o'clock in the morning with me so that, you know, we can be there at six. And, you know, there are days where I'm there till 10 o'clock at night and, you know, she comes and picks me up and, and, you know, she does the ugly things, um, you know, physical pain, you know, you can deal with. Mm-hmm. It's physical. You, you you can deal with the emotional pain, which is really what she's dealing with. I, 
I had my left leg amputated. Uh, yeah, talk about a joke. I always joke with my my orthopedic surgeon. I'm like, you know, you're piecemealing me to hell one body part at a time. You know, it's like, here's a foot. Yeah. Okay, here's a leg. There you go. You know, I, and we kind of joke about that. But I had that done last April, right in the middle of this global pandemic. My wife dropped me off at the hospital to have my leg amputated. You know, and she was like, I don't know what to do. I said, sit in the parking lot and pray. I don't know what to tell you. You know, yeah, this sucks. I wish you were with me, but you can't be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just wait for the doctor to call you. So, I mean, that's what hurts me is seeing the what I'm putting her through. You know, and I know you when you take the marriage vows, you know, through sickness and health and all that kind of stuff. But I don't think anybody, you know, expected this nine year battle of just junk and garbage and pain and, 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 and all the things I've been through that she has to watch that she can't, she can't help me. Mm -hmm. But you know, when, when I was first diagnosed, our daughter was in high school and we made, my wife and I made a conscious decision to never lie to her. You know, we would always tell her the truth, obviously age appropriate for, for what she, she can understand. And, and I mean, now she's an adult in that. So she's fully vested in everything that's going on, but this is, this is a family thing. This is not just Terry has cancer. This is the family has cancer and we're all dealing with it in our own different and unique kind of ways. So, uh, but my, you know, I, I would be dead, no doubt in my life, my life, my mind that I would be dead if it hadn't been for my wife. And, and some of it, she's like, you know, that doesn't look right. We're going to go to the emergency room. And yeah, you're right. If I had a stay at home, I'd probably be dead. Wow. That's incredible. Jeez. Um, um, explain to me uh, about the book that you wrote. Um, how much did your cancer diagnosis inform uh, the, the writing of that book? And how did it feel to finish something like that? It, it was pretty amazing. I mean, the, the book was born out of two conversations I had. One was with a former player that I had coached who she and her boyfriend had moved to, to Colorado where my wife and I live and we had had dinner with them a couple times. And I said to her, you know, I'm really excited that you're living here in Colorado and I, and I get to watch you find and live your purpose. And she got kind of quiet for a while and, and she looked at me and she said, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I don't know what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Finding that purpose and then once you find it, living it. So that was one conversation. And then I had another one with a, a college student who reached out to me on LinkedIn who said, you know, what do you think are the most important things that I should know to not only be successful in my job or in business, but in life? And I didn't want to give them the, you know, get up early, work hard, help others. Not that those aren't important. They are. They're incredibly important, but they've kind of been done a lot. I wanted to give him something different, something unique, something that maybe would resonate in his soul. And so I thought about it for a while and I wrote notes and, I, and eventually I had these 10 principles and I was comfortable enough that I sent them to him. And then I kind of stepped back and I'm like, okay, I got a life story that fits under this principle or I know somebody whose life emulates this principle. And so literally I had my leg amputated in April of last year and I started chemo for the tumors in my lungs in June. So during that three month period, I literally sat down at the computer every day while I was healing and would would write stories underneath all these principles hmm. and eventually just had the, the book is called sustainable excellence the the 10 principles to leading your uncommon and extraordinary life and so here here you know all of a sudden i've got this book and i'm like well do i do i mean is it is it really worth publishing is it you know you know like the book about some guy wrote 
how his you know cat jumps up on his garbage can and that's a book you know like yeah. who cares <laughs> right. you know kind of stuff so i i gave it to two friends of ours he was a former navy seal and she was a former prosecutor and i said be blatantly honest i mean if you think it sucks tell me it sucks and literally they were both like you got to get this published and so that's kind of how it, it it came to be and then when it got published you know i was like you know i gotta sell books i gotta sell books i gotta sell books and i connected with a a best-selling author over in the uk uh business author and i connected with him on linkedin and, and when i was he, he kind of came to me one day and he's like terry no it's like you're approaching this wrong. He said, your job is not to sell books. Your job is to help people. If you help people, the books will sell themselves. And I was so glad he kind of hit me in the face with that because I didn't write the book to make money or be famous. I wrote the book to help people. And now it's it's all just about helping people. And if people buy the book, that's great. If they don't, that's fine too. But if I can make a difference through this book, and I think I have. I had a, an 87-year-old man who got the book and then read it and then reached out to me and said, you know, if I would have had these principles when I was younger, I would have had a much better life. Hmm. And I thought, wow, you know, that, that there's, there's something to this. So it was pretty, you know, I mean, having never written a book, you know, it it was definitely something that I always say I wrote it, but I really kind of think it was inspired by God. You know, guys like, listen, knucklehead, sit down at the computer, just type what I tell you to type, you know, kind of thing. So, (laughs) so I, I, you know, I always kind of laugh about that, but I kind of think that's how it happened. You mentioned that the book is meant to help other people. How much of the process over that three month period of time or however long it ended up for you to actually finish the book was a cathartic experience for you yourself? Not a lot. I I mean, it, it, it was, you know, I, I only had, I had two rules when I, when I started, I said, one, I will write at least one page a day. And then two, I will not edit anything until I have a first draft of it. So, I mean, there were days I sat down and it was like, okay, this is just garbage and this will never make it into a book. And then there were days where it was like, yeah, just pretty good. But I never really, it was like, oh, I'm going to write a book about my cancer experience or my cancer journey, at least not, not this one. I mean, I have, I've written about my cancer experience and I mean, you know, I could probably put a book together by putting all that, you know, together, but this was more about, you know, those two conversations I had. So it was more about here are these young people that are kind of like, well, you know, where do I go with my life? Well, here, let me give you some advice from an old man. Yeah. I mean, you know, here's what I've experienced and I've had a a pretty good life. I've done a lot of different things and let me tell you the mistakes I made and let me tell you the things that, you know, that were great and and why those things were great and and why they led me to what I think is an uncommon and extraordinary life. I like that. Um, because obviously, you know, uh, I wouldn't say I necessarily struggled with like confidence in myself or my ability to do things in life, but I did for sure for a long period of time struggle with what the purpose was for me to be here because you know we can talk all day about god and existence and why we're all here and that's going to be an unanswerable question but at the end of the day there is something that you need to do to fill up your time you need to be ultimately fulfilled either through external relationships internal happiness or what you do for a living and for for quite a while you know there was a good 10 year period of time where i was just like i don't know what i'm doing like i'm just doing what i think i'm supposed to be doing but i don't necessarily relate to what i should be doing i.e what my purpose is and i think it's only been in the last 
four or five years that I've grown comfortable and confident enough in myself to do things like start my photography, um, start my podcast, um, start writing again, and doing all these things that bring me joy that I stopped doing because it felt as if I didn't have the space for them within you know my my daily life, etc. Um, so I can relate to that that question a lot, um, but I think what it, it does do bring back for me is that there is no too late period in time in life for you to figure out what it is that your purpose is or what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and then what it also does is bring up a question for me, pros to you, um, that obviously your time here is indeterminable at this point. You've been struggling against a, uh, a, a disease for a long period of time. Um, how do you take what is an unknowable timeline for the rest of your life into how you fill up the the time that you have left, i.e. the purpose of what you're doing with the blog, with the the book, the podcasts, etc. Yeah, you know, I, I look back on and, and it, it really wasn't until probably maybe a month and a half ago that my oncologist showed me the CAT scan photos of what my lungs looked like when I first started chemo, you know, well over a year ago. And, and I remember looking at, and, and, and now the, the clinical trial drug has shrunk my tumors and the, between chemo and, and this clinical trial, drug, I, I mean, I'm, my lungs are much healthier, much better. It's great. And I, I looked at my oncologist and I, and I looked at him, I said, I, I, now I'm not a doctor, but looking at that photo, it's like, how was I alive? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I, I don't know. And, and you know, there's a reason I'm not dead because I certainly should be. I mean, I, those those tumors should have, you know, I, how I was still breathing, I, I have no idea. I mean, I had fluid around the pleural spaces between the lungs and, you know, and the ribs. I, I mean, I had all kinds of issues. And the fact that I was still going was like, I, I really kind of feel that, and, and you know, we, I, I, we keep coming back to the God thing, but, you know, I, I really think God was kind of like, I'm not done with you yet. It's not time for you to, 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 to come home. So here's, here's what you're going to do. You know, you're going to spend as much time as you can, you know, putting as much goodness, love, and positivity back into the world. One of the chapters I, I wrote in the book, uh, it's the last chapter, but the chapters are not in any particular order, is about the importance of love and, and how much and, – and I'm not talking about romantic love. That, that you know, that kind of wanes over time and things like that. But how – caring about each other and another chapter I wrote in the book was about listening but not listening to respond but listening to understand that was one thing I learned when I was a hostage negotiator you know as a policeman most of your interactions are face to face you know and if I if I see you balling up your fists or kind of looking around you know I can say well maybe he's going to fight me if he's balling up his fists or maybe he's going to run when he's looking around okay I see those things I've got a visual clue. Okay, I can sit you down. I can handcuff you. I can put you in the back. I can do things to mitigate that. But as a negotiator, the person you're talking to, your person you're dealing with, maybe blocks away, and you're talking to them on a phone, or you know, at best, maybe you're talking to them through a door or something like that. And you have to figure out what's going on based on what they're saying, what they're not saying, and how they're saying it. So it was very important for us to kind of listen to understand as opposed to listen to reply. And I know I've done that. You're in a conversation. You're like, you know, I mean, hurry up, John. Say what you're saying because I want to get my two cents. <laughs> you know, no, that's that's listening to respond. That's not listening 
for you, like, John, what are you saying? Why are you saying that? Where are you coming from when you're saying that? You know, if we could do more of that as, as a world or as a society, we'd probably get a whole lot more done, sure. you know, and, and, and a whole lot more. Instead of screaming at each other, stop for a minute and just figure out why is that person feeling the way they're, per, they're, they're feeling. And, and let, let's talk about that. Let, you know, not don't scream at each other, you know, cause I, you know, I'm on the left and I'm this, or I'm on the right and I'm that, and you're wrong. You know, it's not about right or wrong. We're, we're all Americans. You know, mm-hmm. we're all people that, you know, I look at the greatest generation. I had a, a friend when I first started on, down this cancer road, 93 years old, had been in world war two, you know, part of the greatest generation. And, he was all about how can I help? And so many young people today are all about what's in it for me. I'm not doing this if there's not something in it for me. Sure. Uh, not not a great attitude. I mean that's that's social media for you because unfortunately yeah. while and I mentioned this on the on the last podcast that I I did with my buddy Miles, um, unfortunately where we have this technology to connect us greater uh, than any other generation or, or group of people in the history of mankind, it also makes us the uh, you know the the star in our own show and everyone kind of has this uh, higher than thou vision of themselves. So. I'm not interested in listening to what you have to say because I have something to say is um, an, an unfortunate <laughs> byproduct of these things. Um, when I have a supercomputer in my pocket and I'm able to tell people what I'm thinking at any moment's notice, it's easy for you to think that some of the things you have to say are, are significantly more important than they, they truly are. Yeah, it's true. You know, and I can't tell you how many podcasts I've been on where people have asked me, you know, how do you want to be remembered? And I'm like, I don't really have any great desire to be remembered. You know, no, nobody's going to name a street after me or, you know, a basketball court after. I mean, none of that is ever going to happen. And but what I when I look at is that, you know, how do I want to be remembered as somebody who put as much love, goodness and positivity back into this world as somebody who found their purpose as to why they were put on this earth and lived it. If that if I can do that, that to me is is a, is a heck of a life and, and a very fulfilling, fulfilling life. And that has nothing to do with me. That has, you know, everything to do with giving of yourself to other people. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I'm going to harp on something that I said previously. Like, I'm, I'm, in, I'm inspired by your level of positivity for someone who has a uh, a long journey of pain and suffering and loss. That um, I don't think it would be necessarily easy for many people to maintain um, that level of positivity and spirit in what has obviously been a, a physically and mentally long journey. Um. And, and you touched upon a lot of things that I think are important because it gives people who may not be in your position today, but may be in your position at some point in their lives, um, I, I would hope that it gives them something that they can then use um, for their own battles. And and there are people who are going th- through things on a daily basis, and it's not necessarily a cancer thing. It could be a depression thing. It could be any number of uh, you know problems. And I, I think obviously that you have the type of attitude that I ascribe to have. And and I would, I would imagine other people do, um, as well. Um, after such a long journey, um, do you become numb to fear? Um, do, do you have things that you look at as something that you, you're afraid of or or scared of at this point? Like, are, are you fearful of death? Are you accepting of death? Are you worried about the, the wreckage that you leave behind for your family and your friends when you're, you're, when you're gone? Like, how do those things play into, into your mind? 
no, I, I don't, I don't fear death. As a matter of fact, I, when, when I found out, you know, that I was going to lose my leg and I had these tumors in my lungs, I, my wife and I, you know, we went to the cemetery, we went to the mortuary, we went to the church and, you know, we, we planned the funeral. I mean, all my family has to do is make, when I die, make one phone call and it's all, it's all done. It's all taken care of. And, and people have, have accused me of like, you know, well, that's defeatist. And I'm like, well, yeah, no, I don't think so. Cause I, unless you know something that I don't, we're all going to die. Yeah. You know, everybody dies, but not everybody really lives. Yep. And, and so, so I, I've been down the road with my dad and my grandmother of, of being exhausted and, and having go with my mother to, you know, to the funeral home and, and make all the arrangements. And it's just, it just beats the heck out of you. So I thought, you know what, this is a gift I can give to my family and so you make one phone call when I die and it's done. Everything's taken care of. We've, we've got everything worked out. So, no, I don't fear death. And, and I don't mean this to sound crazy. I certainly don't want every psychologist in, in the state of Colorado at my door when I say this. <laughs> but I'm almost, and this is going to sound bad, I'm almost excited about what's on the other side of this. I'm almost excited to see what the what the next step is because I, in my mind in my heart in my soul there is a next step there is something after this this isn't all there is and you know i mean i've seen the birth of my daughter which is talk about a miracle and talk about something that changes you you know so i don't i don't fear death i almost i'm not i'm not in any great hurry to make it into the into the box or anything like that but I'm not afraid to do it because I think I found the purpose that I was put on this earth to do and I lived it. So I can go back to our creator and say, hey, you gave me these gifts. Here's what I did with them. I hope it was good enough. And, but that's the thing about God. I don't have to prove myself. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he loves me anyway. I sure. mean, he, it's like, you know, he's trying to have a relationship. I mean, he's trying to find me, not me trying to find him. You know, please, Terry, let me into your heart. Let me, you know, I am the vine, you are the branches. You know, I'm I'm just a branch, and and I want to make it. You know, I want to make this world as good, as positive as I can. And yeah, I've got a, a disability. I've, I've got I've had some bad luck. I mean, it's the old Winston Churchill quote of you know, if you're going through hell, keep going. I think most people will look at my story and say, yeah, you've been through hell. Yeah, I have. But boy, I'll tell you, hell has taught me a lot. I've met a lot of great people. But I, I'm not afraid of what's coming next. Well, I, I mean, I, I asked that question because obviously it, it's obviously on, on the precipice of things that I would assume likely come up often. But also as someone who is 35, I would say the only fear I have in life is death. And that's not to say that I have a fear of the physical pain or the act of it. It is the fear of not having fulfilled my purpose prior to reaching that point. And I would I would assume that it is a common and repeatable theme for anyone in mankind to, to fear death and also fear that they haven't accomplished anything prior to it. Um, but obviously, you, you've done quite a bit in your time uh, on Earth to, you know, come to that understanding. And I think as I get older, I do become um, more and more uh, comfortable in the things that I've accomplished or, or things that I uh, ha- have done. Um, how much of the the time that you have left do you look at, like, I need to spend it doing something important versus, say, like, binging Netflix or watching a movie? Like, do you consciously look at your your day to day and think well you know i don't need to do 
this because I don't know how much time I have left. Like, does, does that inform like your, your daily schedule and, and your daily activities? I, in a way it does because I, you know, before COVID, I was able to, to, to sort of tell my story to groups, you know, at, at different events and stuff like that. Well, now there's, you know, there's COVID. And so nobody's having, you know, in-person uh, events where they're looking for a speaker or something like that. So I spend the, the two weeks off I have in between therapy pretty much doing podcasts, you know, and, and, and I always kind of feel like, I mean, I should be using these two weeks to rest, but I'm like, eh, the heck, you know, I'll get plenty of time to sleep when I'm dead, you know, so I, I don't really, really worry about that. And my wife is always like, you know what, I'm limiting you to two podcasts a day. Well, I mean, today I got four. So, <laughs> you know, and she gets mad, you know, it's like, you need to be resting. I'm like, hun, you know, in a way, these kind of energize me. They give me a purpose. They, you know, this is something positive that I'm doing with, with my life as opposed to, like you say, sitting around and watching Netflix. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of good stuff on Netflix. I rarely watch television. I read a lot. Like I say, I pray. I spend a lot of time trying to to be a guest on people's podcasts because I, I think I have, I think I'm supposed to be doing this right now. I think I'm supposed to be, you know, having these conversations. And I and I do. I have, I'm on podcasts all over the world with people that, and I've met some great people and we have some great discussions. And if you and I, Having today, you know, having this discussion, if you and I can make a difference in one person's life, this has been a good podcast. This has been something good for both of us to do today. Oh, I completely agree with you. It's it's fundamentally that outlook that has caused me to do things like start the podcast. And, you know, you got 24 hours in a day. You don't need to be sleeping for 12 of them, right? You don't need to be right. mindlessly drumming along doing nothing. Um, and I'm a night owl, so I'm up all hours of the night as is. Um, so it's super easy for me to fill my day up with external things, whether it's photography or my podcast or writing or whatever it might be. Um, but I couldn't possibly agree with you more. It's one of the reasons why I started this podcast. It's having the ability to I hope say something that is relatable to someone who maybe might not be able to articulate the thing that they're going through or articulate their feelings, but know that everyone has extremely common experiences in this life and that it's super, um, it's super understanding for you to feel like you're alone when you're really not. Yeah. You, you, you know, you're, you're in a big group of people, but yet you feel like you're alone mm -hmm. and, but, but again, I think that goes back to, uh, you know, find something that's bigger than yourself. You know, you will be tremendously fulfilled if you're involved in something that's bigger than you. Because I got news for you. Nobody gives a crap about you. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I don't mean to sound that way. I mean, I always, I care about other people. But in, in, the, in the mainstream, most people, I, they're all worried about their own problems and their own issues. They could care less about yours, you know. So, I, I and I know that sounds callous, but... I think when people start to like, and I think you're kind of a perfect example, you know, you're somebody kind of, kind of waffling along, not sure. And then all of a sudden you figure out, you know what, I'm, I, I should be doing this and I should be doing a podcast. And now all of a sudden you're starting to feel fulfilled. Mm -hmm. You're starting to feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm, I'm feeling good about it. And I remember when my, the player that I, I told you about who, you know, I told her I was excited that she was living near us. I, you know, she said to me, well, coach, what if I run out of time? What if there isn't enough time? I said, no, no, no. The, the, no God is going to create you, put you on this earth, 
and say, here, I want you to do this, and then pull the rug out from underneath you and say, ah, ah, no, sorry, I didn't give you enough time to do that. If you keep moving forward, if you keep looking for that purpose, and I reminded her of the story of Colonel Harlan Sanders, the, the man who started Kentucky Fried Chicken. He didn't start Kentucky Fried Chicken until he was in his 60s, till after he retired. Now, I don't know if that was his purpose in life. I, I'm going to assume that it was, but I, I told her, I said, you know, you look at so many people that go down the road, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find my purpose. And they get 10 years, 15 years into it, and they're like, you know what? I'm tired. I don't care anymore. I'm just going to just stay right where I am. You know, and they do the same thing. They get up the same time every morning, the same breakfast, go to work, home, watch TV, go to bed. Those mm -hmm. people are dead. They just haven't fallen over yet. Because you know? if you're not growing, then you're dying. Mm -hmm. And those people aren't growing. But whatever you can do to grow yourself, to grow your skill set, to grow what's in your heart, whatever it is, that's what will lead you to your purpose. You know, being open to that purpose with your heart and not be like, ah, I'm fed up. You know, I'm not going to do anything. Those are the people that when it comes to the end of their life, those are the ones like, damn, I wish I had another life or another day or another month because I didn't do anything with my life. Oh, absolutely. You, you figured out that, yeah, I got to do stuff with my life. <clears throat> excuse me and then when i do i'll feel fulfilled and that's exactly what you're doing yeah i i mean i i, I appreciate that and i i think the the one key point out of uh, all of that is that it's certainly never too late right you can be 65 years old and start a fried chicken chain you can be 35 years old lose a job start chasing passions and 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 uh and doing things that you might not have thought a day ago, a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, you could do. Um, I, I think it's the the one thing I try to harp on is as often as possible is that it's never too late to try something new and it's never too late to make yourself happy because we don't have all that much time here. And if you spend that time miserable, like you said, you're going to come out kicking and screaming, being like, fuck, I wasted a whole bunch of my life doing things that didn't ultimately fill me up. Exactly. And, and, I, and I think you figured that out. But you and I both know there's a tremendous amount of people out there who haven't figured that out yet. Yeah, I know. It's uh, you know, it, it is a uh, it's an easy trap to fall into because you you fall into uh, a reoccurring trend, a reoccurring uh, routine that is difficult to break, and it it does it does feel like getting off the hamster wheel at times. Like it feels like I've been able to put myself in a position now where I'm doing things that truly make me happy versus a couple of years ago, I might've just been going through the motions and you know, I'm a young guy. I'm 35. You know, if I, at 25, if I had said 35 was young, I would have been like, no, you're old as shit. But <laughs> in the grand scheme of my life, I'm, I'm not old. I've got time. And, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, I, I like to spend the, the last uh, bit of my podcast asking a couple quick hitter questions, um, just sure. kind of going into some of your favorite things, and then uh, we'll uh, we'll call it a day. But what is your favorite book that you've ever read? Uh, that's a great question. I, I would probably say, and I've read the Bible from cover to cover. So, I, I mean, I think that's for me, a, a, a really good book. But in terms of sort of what we would probably call mainstream books, there was a book, uh, a coach in UCLA years ago, way before your time called John Wooden. He was kind of, uh, yeah, you know, and, and he wrote a book called Call Me Coach. And that book, more than anything, kind of lit the spark in my, you know, I've got to be a certain way. I've got to live my life by a certain set of standards 
And, uh, you know, a lot of that came from reading They Call Me Coach. So I'm going to say that book, other than the Bible, probably had the biggest impact on my life. Nice. Um, I think I own that book. I'm pretty sure I do have it here somewhere. I've truthfully not read it yet, but I, I do have it. I, I buy, I have a huge problem with purchasing <laughs> six, seven books at a time from Amazon, and then the stack gets bigger and bigger, and then I don't get through nearly enough of them. Uh, what, what's your favorite movie? Oh, I don't know. I have three favorite ones. Rudy. Oh, yeah. Hoosiers. Hoosiers. And then uh, Tombstone. Oh, nice. I mean, Rudy, all time classic Hoosiers. I, you know, uh, you know, obviously you played basketball, so I, it's it's understandable why that would be one of your favorite movies. I like that movie a lot. Um, I do definitely think uh, Rudy is is I would go Rudy Tombstone Hoosiers. That that would be my. Well, you know, it's it's funny because when when I lived in Cincinnati, the the real Hoosiers, the the real Hickory, the real high school was, yeah. was a play. Yeah, it's called it was in Milan, Indiana, and it was about an hour and a half drive from my house. And and I remember my brother came in and my uncle came in, and we we drove out there. We, we, you know, we saw the school. The gym has been rebuilt, but they have part of the floor still in a you know kind of a case. Oh, like cool. here it is, and and we kind of drove around. And there's an old antique. I mean, it's a dinky dinky little town there's an antique store that doubles as a museum and literally we go to the antique store and it's like you know if you need anything call this number so we call the numbers like hey we'd like to see the museum and the woman's like i'll be down in five minutes and she came down unlocked the place when i mean it was just it's small town indiana you that's know awesome. and yeah so we got to see all that so i mean that's probably another reason why it's a little more up on my favorite list nice that i mean that's that's awesome that's very cool um what's your favorite food uh vito and nick's thin crust sausage pizza from vito and nick's on the 83rd and pulaski in chicago very nice thin crust in chicago that that can't be very common it's not, but that's what makes it so delicious. <laughs> that's a that's a Jersey pie. There's a there's a place around the corner from I live in Caldwell, New Jersey, and uh, mm-hmm. there's a place called Angeloni's Pizzeria. They have what's called a thinny thin pie, and I get it every week. It's just <laughs> they've got the best pizza. I, thin pizza for me is is life for sure. Absolutely. I, oh yeah, and they cut it in little squares, and it's just like fits in your. Oh, it's, uh, my mouth's watering right now. There you go. <laughs> nice. Um, what is your biggest piece of advice for someone that is hearing you on my podcast for the first time uh, today? I I would say live your life with an open heart. If you do that, I, I don't think you can go wrong. I like that. I, th- I think that's important, and I think that's that's good. I like that. Okay, my last question is, what is one recommendation that you have for everyone listening here today? It can absolutely be a a shameless plug for your book, Um, but I like people to recommend something that they've recently consumed, whether it's a book, a podcast, a movie, a TV show, whatever it might be, Um, just something that you've consumed recently that you recommend everyone to uh, take a look at or, 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 you know, use. So, yes, I would absolutely recommend my book, but I'm not going to plug it right now. I'm going <laughs> to plug a book called Legacy, which was written by an individual by the name of James Kerr. And it uh, it's really it's a book about the New Zealand national rugby team where this this author embedded the with shirts. them. Uh, the uh, it's not the it's black shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
It's the only one in New yeah. Zealand, I know. Yeah, it, it is. It's about them, and, and but it, it's not the black shirts. It's something else. It's the, uh, but yeah, it, it's it's about them. And the thing that I came away from that with is that, you know, you would think, and, and again, this is probably the most successful sports franchise in any sport in any country of all times, mm-hmm. and. I, I wanted to know, you know, I read the book because why? Why are you that successful? Why are you that good? And one of the things I came away with is they hire, they they bring people onto their team, not because, you know, they're they're a good defenseman or, you know, a good forward or whatever like that. They hire for character. If you don't have the character to be part of that team, you could be the greatest rugby player in the world. They won't put you on the team. And then there are examples in there of, you know, when the, the game is over and, you know, the, they go to the locker room, they change. Their, the captains stay behind and police the locker room so that it's cleaner after they leave than it was before they got in it. Hmm. I mean, that's kind of the, the, how they live their lives and how they yeah, and I think one of the reasons why they're the most successful sports franchise of all times. Wow, it's cool. I'll, I'll definitely have to pick that up, uh, add it to my list <laughs> for sure. I was going to say, add it to your eight or nine uh, Amazon books. <laughs> I, I, I do. I, I have a huge problem, but I do read like two or three books simultaneously. Um, so I'll mm-hmm. read like a fiction, a nonfiction, and then like maybe like a self-help book um, all simultaneously. And I, I do end up reading a fair amount of books per year. I try to read at least like 20. Um, so, but, but I think it would probably be doing myself a little bit of uh service by not continuing to buy books <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> my uh my recommendation is uh i think i may have said this a couple episodes ago but i was so floored by this week's episode um mayor of east town on hbo max has uh stars kate winslet um she's does a lower pennsylvania accent like i'm incredibly amazed by but oh my goodness it was such a wild episode this past week and this show has just been stellar from start to finish um i definitely recommend people to uh take a look at it and uh and enjoy it it's 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 a little fucked up but it is is quite enjoyable for sure Nice. Okay. Good, Terry. Uh, I I got to tell you, I'm I'm super appreciative that you reached out um, to hop on the podcast today. I uh, I really, really, really greatly enjoyed our conversation and our time. And uh, being that you know there is a finite amount that you have left, I uh, I am extremely um, thankful that you chose to spend this hour with me. Um, I wish you absolutely all the best on your journey, and uh, and you will obviously be in my prayers uh, on a nightly basis. John, I appreciate that. And, you know, I can't tell you the number of people who tell me, you know, you're going to be in my prayers. That means, a tr- you know, I because I, I've always said, I kind of believe the Jim Valvano philosophy of, you know, cancer can, you know, you can take anything of the physical abilities, but cancer can't touch my heart, can't touch my soul, can't touch my mind. And, you know, I didn't understand that when he made that that speech at the ESPYs in 93, but I certainly do now. And, you know, that's what we are. That's who we are, our mind, our heart, and our soul. And if you can remember that, that's great. And thank you for allowing me to be on your podcast. Anytime, Terry. I really appreciate the time and uh, hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You take care. You too.